Hello everyone and Namaskar. Today's discourse is a guide to human conduct part 2. Satya. Parahirtitam van manaso yatartatvam satyam. Satya implies proper action of mind and the right use of words with the spirit of welfare. It has no English synonym. The word true or truth would be translated in Sanskrit as rita to state the fact. The sadhaka is not asked to follow the path of rita. One is to practice satya. The practical side of satya is dependent on relativity, but its finality lies in Brahma, the supreme spiritual entity. That is why Brahma is often referred to as the essence of satya. Satyang kyena manantang Brahma. Even though the object of a sadhaka is to achieve that ultimate entity, in the process, Sadhakas have to deal with the relativity of their surroundings. Humans are rational beings. They possess in varying degrees the capability to do what is necessary or good for humanity. In the realm of spirituality, such thought, word, or action has been defined as satya. For example, a person rushes to you for shelter. You do not know whether he is guilty or not, or perhaps you know for certain that he is not guilty. He is followed by a ruffian bent on torturing him. If this terrified man seeks refuge in your house and then the ruffian comes and asks you regarding his whereabouts, what should you do? By adhering to Rita or truth, you would inform the ruffian of his whereabouts. Then, if he is murdered, will you not be responsible for this murder? Your mistake may have resulted in the murder of an innocent person. By adhering to Rita, or truth, you become indirectly guilty of this heinous crime. What would be your duty if you followed the correct interpretation of Satya? It would be not to reveal the whereabouts of the person, and rather to misguide the aggressor, so that the refugee may safely return home. Suppose your mother is taking food. A letter is received about the death of your maternal grandfather. If mother inquires about the contents of the letter, what reply will you give? If you adhere to truth, you will reveal the news of her father's death, which will cause a great shock to her mind, and she will not even be able to take her food. It would be preferable in this case to state that all is well in their family. After your mother has had her food, a mention of her father's illness would prepare the ground for her to bear the news of the tragedy. In this way, even though Something other than truth was uttered. The dignity of satya has been maintained. Asteya. Para dravya, para harano, tiago, steyam. Not to take possession of what belongs to others is asteya. It means non-stealing. Stealing may be of four types. Number one, physical theft of any material object. Ordinarily, those persons who steal material objects are called thieves. But thieves are not only those persons who flee with stolen objects after committing armed robbery. Whatever is taken in possession by the use of brute physical force, of arms or of strength of intellect, whether it is money or goods, amounts to theft, because behind such actions there is the intention of taking others' property deceitfully. However, acceptance of anything like money, crops, gold, etc., in exchange for money, in a proper way, is not theft. Number two, psychic theft. Here you did not take the material possession of anything, 
but you planned it in your mind. This is also called theft, because you have mentally stolen. Only the fear of law or adverse criticism prevented you from doing the action physically. Number three, depriving others of their due physically. Even if you do not take possession of what belongs to others, but you deprived others of what is their due, you become responsible for their loss. This is also stealing. Number four, depriving others of their due mentally. If you do not actually deprive anybody of what is justifiably their due, but you plan in your mind to do so, that too amounts to theft. Some explanation here is necessary regarding the third and fourth types of theft referred to above. You may have seen that many educated people travel by train without purchasing proper tickets. They do not directly steal money from the railway administration, but they deprive the railway administration of its due. A little thought will reveal that there is a sort of barter relationship of the passengers and the railway administration, and therefore, ticketless travel amounts to theft of the type referred to under 3 and 4 above. Those who travel by train have obtained the facility from the railway administration. By purchasing tickets, they pay for that facility in full, and consequently, the railway administration cannot be held in high esteem for rendering a social service. When the railway is not rendering free services, not to pay one's traveling fare is theft. Consider for a moment what type of a person commits such a theft for a few rupees only. Often, people of the type indulge in all types of tall talks, freely criticize the leaders, and accuse them of corruption and nepotism. If their shortcomings is pointed out, they plead, it is difficult to live in the world with such strict morality. Those who run the railway administration in such a manner deserve it. This type of theft is justified. Missionaries or ascetics who convey a divine message, or political leaders with the noble purpose of doing good to the country, are seen to be often indulging in ticketless travel. This is a daily occurrence. Bribing government employees to evade income and other taxes or demanding traveling allowance for a higher class when they actually travel in a lower class, these are all nothing but cheating. It is not only theft, it is also pettiness. All these tendencies to steal are contradictory to the code of Astea. In many cases, even educated people often act knowingly against the principles of Astea or do not want to accept that petty stealing violates it. The author was once questioned by an acquaintance who was a railway employee as to why he had purchased a full ticket for a nephew aged 13 years, when half a ticket might have done, half tickets being permitted up to the age of 12 only. There are some moralists who do not want to cheat any particular individual, but do not consider anything wrong in cheating the well-to-do or the government. Many a shopkeeper would sell adulterated commodities to his customers, but entertain his own friends and guests with genuine items. It should be remembered that all actions with such a psychological background are against Astea. The easiest way of practicing Astea, as in the case of all other principles of Yama Niyama, is auto-suggestion. If people, right from the childhood, remember these codes and remind themselves what is correct, they would not go astray when they grow up, even in the midst of temptations, and they will be able to maintain the high standard of thoughts and character. Brahmacharya The correct meaning of Brahmacharya is to remain attached to Brahma. 
Brahmani Vicharanam Iti Brahmacharyam. Whenever people do some work or think of doing any work extroversially, they look upon the object with which they come in contact as a crude finite entity. Because of their constant aspiration for material achievement, their mind is so engrossed in material objects that their very consciousness becomes crude. The meaning of practicing Brahmacharya sadhana is to treat the object with which one comes in contact as different expressions of Brahma and not as crude forms. By means of such an ideation, even though the mind wanders from one object to another, it does not get detached from Brahma because of the cosmic feeling taken for each and every object. As a result of this, Preya Sadhana, extroversial approach, is converted into Shreya Sadhana, introversial approach, and Kama into Prema. Preya means attraction towards crude material objects, while Shreya means attraction towards the ultimate reality. Kama means desire for finite objects, and Prema means desire for the infinite. Many misinterpret Brahmacharya to mean preservation of semen. It should be remembered that neither the word Brahma nor the word Charya has any relevance to the word semen. Moreover, even physiologically, such a preservation of semen is a bluff, either owing to the disease in certain glands or by the use of similar other processes. Unless one becomes maimed, it is not possible to observe such brahmacharya. It is certainly true that if the correct meaning of the word brahmacharya is accepted, that is, to feel the cosmic entity in every material object, control in life becomes essential. But such control does not imply disobeying the laws of nature. Control means to abide by nature's laws. The prevention of the discharge of semen by some special measures or prevention of its surplus formation by fasting is ordinarily termed as so-called brahmacharya. For those who are not married, this so-called brahmacharya, which is really not brahmacharya, has some meaning, because it reduces the possibility of sexual excitement and thus prevents a discharge which may occur due to excitement while awake, asleep, or dreaming. This is because when there is no formation of surplus semen, there is no physical desire to waste it. Further consideration will, however, show that this so-called brahmacharya is worth. Are the prevention of formation of surplus semen and the loss of surplus semen not one and the same thing? All that can be said is that the first alternative is good for the unmarried and the second for the married. People who by different suppressive methods seek to prevent a discharge of semen create a bad reaction on their body and mind. Their bodies become rough and lack in luster. A suppression of the sexual desire results in other desires, especially anger, taking a more terrible form. In the olden times, only the actual meaning of brahmacharya was accepted. Later, when society was dominated by the intelligentsia, the so-called monks, who had taken to complete exploitation, thought that if ordinary citizens were allowed to pursue spiritual practices, they might lose the machinery of exploitation at any moment, of which they were so fond. If common people are inspired by spiritual ideas, the rationality will grow and grow. The monks realized, therefore, that the people will have to be kept maimed and helpless. Fear and inferiority complex will have to be infused in people to exploit them. They found that such an exploited mass consisted of ordinary worldly people, most of whom were married. If, therefore, the loss of semen was anyhow declared as anti-religious, 
they would be able to gain their end without difficulty. And the result was promptly achieved. Ordinary worldly people began to think that they, by leading a married life, had committed a serious wrong, a heinous sin. They had indulged in activities against brahmacharya. The monks observed celibacy and were, therefore, far superior. The so-called recluses took advantage of the situation and have, without difficulty, been exploiting the society. Whether these recluses, in fact, are nishtika brahmacharis, those who do not waste semen at all, cannot be decided by arguments. This can be decided by medical test. But it can be said without doubts that many of the so-called monks will not pass this test. Marriage is a natural function like bath, food, sleep, etc. Therefore, there is nothing to be condemned in it, nor does it go against dharma. When a great man or an elevated sadhaka is not prohibited from taking food, etc., there is no reason why he or she should be debarred from marriage. But proper control is no doubt greatly needed, not only over food and sleep, but in every walk of life. The lack of such control causes disease. Food is essential for life, but absence of control over eating causes indigestion. A bath is refreshing, but an absence of control over bath, i.e. a long-continued bath, would make one catch cold. Similarly, marriage has its function, but the absence of restraint in married life would cause various diseases in body and mind. Marriage is slightly different from other natural functions in life, such as eating, sleeping, etc. Marriage is not essential for life as our food and sleep. The need for marriage differs with individuals. That is why in the opinion of Ananda Marga, every individual has complete freedom in matters of marriage. For example, marriage of those persons who suffer from some physical or mental disease, or who are not financially well off, or whose present circumstances are not favorable for marriage, i.e. where marriage can cause unhappiness, is not desirable. Those who are constantly engaged in the fulfillment of an ideal, or those who have to spend the greater part of the day in earning their livelihood, or some mental occupations, should not marry, because they would not find it possible to fulfill their family commitments properly. The marriages of such people are harmful to the society in many cases. Although marriage is not desirable for those who are suffering from some disease or whose circumstances are not favorable to getting married, there remains a possibility of their indulging in vices stealthily if they are not married. To avoid this, they should work for the attainment of some high ideals or do rigorous spiritual practices. The psychological degeneration which is inherent in the suppression of psychic tendencies can be avoided only by an effort to fulfill a lofty ideal. It has been said earlier, and it is being repeated, that one has to exercise control in every sphere of life, whether big or small. Such control does not imply killing the desire, but controlling it. Desires and tendencies are natural attributes of a living being. Therefore, those who want to kill the desires should better adopt some easy method of committing suicide instead of pursuing any difficult method of spiritual practices. I do not find any reason to support the so-called brahmacharya for those who are Shaiva, Shakta, Vaishneva, or who believe in the Puranas, because their deities, Shiva, Vishnu, Krishna, and others, were what is commonly known as worldly people. In Purana, the names of their wives and children are also mentioned. Dharma is based on Satya, Dharma sa na yatra na satya masti. Where there is no Satya, there is no Dharma. 
This peculiar interpretation of brahmacharya may contain anything and everything except satya. Hence, there is no dharma or brahma in it. Humanity has to progress towards the ultimate reality by accepting what is truth. That is the path of a sadhaka. That is the path of dharma. It may be a privilege to parasitic religious professionals to deny what is simple truth in practical life, but thereby the sanctity of dharma cannot be maintained. It is not the path of satya. It is nothing but hypocrisy. Aparigraha In case of enjoyment of any material object, the control over the subjectivity is called brahmacharya, while the control over objectivity is aparigraha. Deha raksha dirikta bogasad danas bikaro parigraha. Non-indulgence in the enjoyment of such amenities and comforts of life as are superfluous for the preservation of life is aparigraha. For our existence, we require food, clothes, and also a house to live in, provision for old age and money and cultable land for one's dependents are also essential. Therefore, a number of factors have to be taken into consideration to determine an individual's necessity for the preservation of life. It may be that the requirements of any two persons are not similar. It is therefore difficult to determine the minimum requirements for any particular person, because it is entirely a relative factor. The minimum requirement of a person can, to some extent, be determined and decided by the society. For example, no one should accumulate more than a certain amount of money, or no one shall possess more than a certain number of houses, or no one should be owner of more than a certain area of landed property. But it is not possible for the society to fix the minimum limit in all spheres. Even after setting a limit for land, property, etc., it is not possible to fix a quota in respect of edibles. The voracious may overeat and be attacked with diseases. The seekers of luxury may overspend on their luxuries and incur debt. That is why it would be easier for an individual to be established in a parigraha if the individual and the society work together cooperatively. Those items of personal requirement, which are left to the discretion of the individual, largely depend on the conception of that individual's happiness and comforts. This also changes according to time, person, and place. For example, one person may easily bear certain physical hardships, while another person, under the same circumstances, may possibly die. Under these circumstances, the latter requires greater comforts of life than the former to remove his or her difficulty, and this will not be against the parigraha. The place is to be considered also. In the summer season in India, woolen clothing is unnecessary, but it is a necessity in Siberia during that time. Time should be considered also. The minimum necessity of an ordinary person today is not limited to the minimum necessity of an ordinary person in prehistoric age. The reason is that the objects of pleasure are more easily available today and will be even more easily in the future. Therefore, while practicing a parigraha, if the time factor is neglected, one will become unfit for social life and will have to withdraw from the physical world. Advocating the use of raw sugar, i.e., gur, in the age of sugar, and bullock cart in the age of railways, has no meaning in practice of a parigraha. Today, for an ordinary person whose time is not more valuable than that of another, traveling by airplane is definitely contrary to a parigraha, whereas traveling by rail is certainly not against a parigraha. That is why I said that the society may help individuals to be established in a parigraha by setting a standard in certain spheres of life.
but the complete establishment in a parigraha ultimately depends on the individual. A parigraha is an endless fight to reduce one's objects of comforts out of sympathy for the common people. After ensuring that individuals are able to maintain solidarity in their physical, mental, and spiritual lives for themselves and their families. In practicing a parigraha, the objects of pleasure will increase or decrease with person, place, and time. But the definition of a parigraha, as mentioned above, will be applicable to all persons in all countries and at all times. Thank you.